Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. My name is Bree, and Erin is in class tonight. We are so excited about that. But I am joined tonight by author Christine Rimmer, who we are so excited to have join us. Christine, will you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? I'm so excited to be here. I have been a romance writer for years and years. Before that, I wanted, I tried many different disciplines in both acting and writing. And the whole time I was writing, uh, reading romance and going, this is the place I go to be happy. <laughs> so it took me a lot of years to figure out that the writing of romances was for me. And series, category romance is my home. And okay. I write special editions, mostly, occasionally forays into single title and novellas. But uh, that's my home place. And I love it. I love the all the characters, the fact of the hero and heroine finding love in their community kind of thing. I just, yeah, it works for me. So okay, yes. yeah, we have we have more about that because you have a lot of books, <laughs> ma'am, on on under your name. I so <laughs> let's let's start with some icebreakers. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? I'm really guarded and protective of my writing. So if I'm writing, interrupt at your own risk. <laughs> Very, it sounds very disciplined. Very, it's very scary. <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> okay, three songs from the mixtape of your life, and what do they say about you? I took a long time on this. It was fun. okay, it was fun. It was interesting. So I would say "Antihero" Taylor Swift. Oh my gosh! Okay, the whole idea that like I'm this giant. I mean, I'm. She has three or three different characters that are her in this video. And one of them is this giant who's lumbering toward your favorite city. You know, she's too big to hang out with people. She's just so lumbery. And that's often the way I feel. I feel that I'm just kind of different than everybody. Yeah. And that writing helps me feel that I fit. So I love that. <laughs> so anyway, no, I love it. Yeah. Anti-hero. Another one is starting over. It's Chris Stapleton. And okay. That is the story of my life. I mean, I was always starting over with a whole new thing that was going to work for me and make my life make sense. You know, yeah. um, I always felt I was on a great adventure, but I was really worried there would never be an actual point where I would say, okay, I'm on the mountain, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm where I want to go. So starting over. And the third one is put your records on because sometimes mm -hmm. when you take yourself really seriously, you just need to put your records on and dance around the living room. So those are my songs. I love all of that so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank the you for taking the life. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially like, I mean, all of them, like, but the Taylor Swift and your explanation for that, I'm like, yeah, I feel like sometimes I'm the oddball in my family. I'm like, does anybody really get me? I, I'm not I sure. <laughs> I'm never quite on the, I mean, even when I dance, I don't dance like a person who knows how to dance. You know? Same. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, um, and, and the whole idea that you're, that everybody else is a sexy baby and you're just way out of scale. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm like, I'm over here with my big glasses being weird. <laughs> Cool. And I have really been embracing, I think, more now than ever. It's just life has been crazy, putting mm -hmm. on music and just dancing, even though I'm not the best dancer. But it's like sometimes that's it's such a mood changer. So I love yeah. all three of those. <laughs> well, if you were to choose a word for 2023, what would your word be? It's a little pretentious, but I still think reemergence is a good word. I love that. Okay. Okay. 
And we love hearing romance origin stories here. So share with us how you became a romance reader. Do you know, I don't know when I wasn't a romance reader. Bruce Springsteen said once, he always knew it had to be a lot about the girl in his case, you know, or it wasn't worth it, you know? I mean, to me, the love story was always the center of any story, you know? Always, if you, yeah. If you give me any, I don't care what story. And I'm looking at, well, what about Ted and Mary, you know, or Bob and Ted, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm always looking at the relationships of the love relationships that people form. Um, when I was fourth grade, I invented an illness so I could stay home and read Gone with the Wind and Forever Amber, <laughs> which are not what you would necessarily think of as a romance now because there's no happily ever after, but the romantic relationships are central. So I just, and then I, historicals, in fact, all my years searching for what was going to be the thing that was going to work for me as work. I was always reading romance to console myself because mm -hmm. it got so rough in a romance, but somehow you knew you were going to get the payoff and it was going to be good and they were going to work it out. And I was like, that's what my life should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, always. And then I didn't really discover uh, category romance until uh, there was a great boom when I started, but I hadn't really read them because I was so busy reading these big sprawling saga books. and when I decided, wait, I love writing, reading romance, I should try that. And then I started looking around and I read a few series books, category books, and I thought, wow, this is just great. This has got everything I want and nothing extra. Nothing extra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, all the extra I can do without. I mean, I could just read the good parts over and over by reading category romance. So I started looking for one that, you know, I would like to write, but really then I fell in love with category. It was when I was looking for something to do as a writer. Oh my gosh. This is this, this is just so cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get to all that. This okay. is so cool. It's so mind blowing. Okay. Congratulations on the release of Hometown Reunion. Let's, let's start there, which from what we can see online is the 62nd book in your Bravo Family Tie series with Harlequin Special Edition. I have to ask first and foremost, have you done anything to celebrate its release? <laughs> there was a really nice bottle of wine with my name on it last night. Okay. And I did that. <laughs> and just a few, you know, online things for fun professionally. But in terms of just having a nice bottle of wine, sitting down with the hubster, just saying life is good. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of this book and the whole idea that this has come full circle because this is another generation of these characters. So uh, that family. So I'm real happy about that. And yes, I had a great bottle of Syrah and felt wonderful. Awesome. So tell everybody what it's about. Well, the title is very indicative of what the story is. It's, it takes place in the hometown of the original Bravo families, which is Medicine Creek, Wyoming. It's in northeastern Wyoming. And um, it's a reunion story. It's a second chance story. Uh, Joe Beth, the heroine, and Hunter, the hero, were deeply in love as much as you, you know, as youngsters. They really did. They were very committed, devoted is what one of the people in town says of their relationship then. And they were perfect for each other. They, they already knew they were each other's one, but he had to get out of that town and she would never leave. And they both had really good reasons for that. She had had a wandering, very young childhood. And when she finally found Medicine Creek and the family that she made there, it's her 
heart. It's her place. She doesn't want to go. And he has a really rough childhood where he felt dissed by the town, although that may have been more about him than the town. And he had to get away. So they agreed, even though it broke both their hearts, that this is how it is. I'm going, you're staying. And they both really tried not to look each other up. And it's been 16 years. They're both 34 now. And um, he has made a great, she is a horse trainer and she works on the family ranch. She's living her dream other than she's never found the guy. She's been married and divorced and she wanted a family. So she adopted a baby, uh, a family closed adoption, you know, from uh, her own family. So Mm -hmm. it was uh, a cousin who didn't want to keep the baby. So she's got a family. She has her own house she's built on the ranch and everything's great, except she never found another guy like Hunter. And he is a very successful um, renovator. uh, And he has a home renovation show called uh, Rebuilt by Bartley. His last name is Bartley. And his producer has talked him into doing a series of shows in his hometown that they're going to call Hunter Comes Home. And at first he was hesitant, but he said, okay. And then he contacted Joe Best's father, whom he always liked, and they agreed that he would rebuild the uh, bunkhouse on the ranch. And then Joe Best's father invited him to stay in the main house. And of course, when the father asked Joe Beth what she would think of that, she said, I mean, it's been 16 years, of course, you know. Well, now he's here and she's just running away every time he gets in here. She can't. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it means a lot more to her than she thought it would. And he thinks he's going to get together with her and they're going to find closure. And of course, they're going to find a lot more. So yeah. that's kind of set up. Well, the nine month marriage book one in the series mm-hmm. released in 1998. Yep. Talk about writing such a long running <laughs> series. Like when you started that book, I must, did you imagine? So really two books later, you know, this book was this was I had had an earlier series when I first started with specials and it was called uh, The Jones Gang. And there were 10 books in that series. And that just was so enormous of a series to me. Yeah, (laughs) this is just not I've got to stop this. I'm just going to write three books. (laughs) This family, you know, I said, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I mean, we don't know what we what we will enjoy doing or what we were like to do sometime in the past. And then you find out later, this really works for you. But at the time it was like only three. And I loved, I love tropes. I love marriage of convenience. So they were all going to be marriage of convenience. They were called conveniently wed. And um, they were three cousins who jointly owned a ranch in Wyoming. So that was the setup. And that was all I was going to write. Well, (laughs) The books were enormously popular and everybody at Harlequin, well, it was Silhouette at the time, started pushing me. Well, you know, think about it. Maybe you might just think of a story idea, you know, whatever. Well, the more I was encouraged, the more I sort of bloomed into it and thought, yeah, that wouldn't be such a bad idea, maybe. And I came up with one and then I came up with four more. And then I got the idea of, you know, writing a dynasty where you have branches of the family and there may be six, four kids, 10 kids, whatever. So you have a sort of series within the series. And that's what I've done all along and set all over the country. And then even in Europe, because I had the Bravo Royales, which was the princely branch of the family. And they had, they live in a country called Montadoro, which is modeled after Monaco. Yeah. So like, 
if you ha- if some someone like because I think romance ro- us as romance readers we love a long running series we love a family mm-hmm. but for you as the writer how do you keep it is it like okay thinking of okay I need to branch out maybe how do you keep it fresh for yourself and fun is it okay we're gonna do this but like you said like let's branch out let's find some cousins that live somewhere else like how yes. do you keep it fresh to like still creatively want to stay with these people, with this family? You need to make, you're right. You need to make it so it's almost like separate, separate series. Um, they connect. People may, like if it's set in Wyoming, they may go to LA and meet another branch of the family or something. And sometimes I would start the next series that way. So the series I'm concluding, somehow they have a connection to this other branch. And then so, but you you leave them behind. For instance, the most recent one, the most recent series I did before these next generation stories that were Bravo stories were the Bravos of Valentine Bay. And this is set in here in Oregon on the coast, kind of near Astoria, which is Northern Oregon. And it's a whole world all by itself. You create the town, it, it, you've never used it before. So it's all fresh. All the characters are fresh. They only come in contact like you would hearing something about your second cousin or something. So it's almost, it's a whole new series. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They do connect, but they're, and and they are in the world so that you, you end up sometimes going to the place of another branch of the family and then you get in with them and you deal with them and really interact so that it really makes other the readers happy. In fact, even with Hometown Reunion, the heroine goes to LA with Hunter at one point and she goes to a big Hollywood party and a producer is talking to her about all the Bravos in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and she's thinking, well, I'm adopted. I've never met these people. I know who yeah. they are. You know, it's that. You know what I mean? Because we want and that nugget. We do want to see that do. nugget of everything that's come before. Yeah. That they live, that they really do feel like they exist in real in real space and time. So when you say, and what about the princess of Montadoro, you know, and, and she goes, oh, yes, well, that's my father's, you know. <laughs> and it's just like you would if you heard about some distant relative and somebody's trying to ask you all about them. You know, so you can make it fun, I guess is what I would say. And real, like it would be in real life. That, that's how Do you feel it. like this is your like days of reading the big romance sagas <laughs> kind of coming out? <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. It is. It's that. It's that I would read, you know, books that were a thousand pages long and they would go all over continents. And, and, and the whole idea that, you know, sometimes and I read most of the Outlander books you know, mm-hmm. and that was generation. So yeah, it's that, it's that, it's the, it's the feeling of history, the feeling of the con- interconnectedness of human beings. It's just, it's very inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Okay. I see the connection there. I see it. <laughs> well, I would love to hear your journey to becoming published. Well, I kind of started rambling on that a little earlier, but, um, yeah, that started out with me wanting to be a great actress when I was five. <laughs> and But I always kept journals for, from very young. Oh, I know. I, I saw the diary. I read the diary of Anne Frank. Okay. And I was so inspired that I started keeping diaries, you know, and I have like 50 of them. And as I became a professional writer, I it was like a busman's holiday. 
I didn't want to write the journal anymore, but I kept them. And they kind of inspired me to think of writing as a way I could communicate without anybody even having to read it, I guess. Yeah. And then I, but I didn't think of it as anything that was going to make me a living until after I started thinking maybe acting it was going nowhere. Let's just be frank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I hear that's a very tough world to get into. My it, my it husband's really an aspiring is. screenwriter, and I hear that's just as hard. So I totally get it. Yeah, and I you know I went to New York. I lived in L.A. I did the things I was supposed to do, and still couldn't really get it to happen. Couldn't get the connections anyway. And then I started thinking, all right. And interesting, the doors kind of opened for me as a writer. Right away, I got in with some, I did playwriting and had some plays uh, published and produced, short plays, and wrote a couple of long plays. But I did, it was writing by committee, you know, you go in, the actors have to have him, it's everybody together making this happen. The play is the blueprint, it is not the end product. So you find that you're just trying to please everybody and you lose track of what you originally were trying to do. And I thought, I really, and I was working as a waitress, working as a substitute teacher while trying to make time to write. And I, it just came to me one day, I want to be able to write. And all, all this whole time I'm reading romances to save my sanity, essentially. Yeah. You know, that's where I'm my happy place. Not putting it together <laughs> at all. And then, um, I don't know. I just said, I, how am I going to write for a living so I don't have to make a living so I can write, you know? And I thought, well, what a, a romance is, those are actually written. <laughs> you know? It's not, I mean, I can make, take my reading and, and, and that was kind of where the whole idea came from. I just... I got a book, Writing Romance Fiction for Love and Money by Helene Schellenberg Barnhart. Followed the instructions. And part of it was reading hundreds of romances, which, hey, <laughs> it was fun. And that's really where I discovered series and category. Okay. Because okay. I, and I found that here was this form where it was my favorite part of, <laughs> of reading a sprawling saga was what was going on in the romances. So, and I first fell in love with desire. And so I, I slanted toward desire. That was going to be my, my market. And I wrote the book um, and I was happy with it. I sent it to desire and they were like, nice work. Try again. (laughs) And so I tried all the other lines. And in that time, there were lines in every major publisher had lines. There was no self-pubbing. It was all traditional publishing. And the series romance, the categories were big. So I had lots of different places to submit to, although some of them were closing down. It was shutting down a little bit, getting smaller, that market. And But nobody would buy me. They all said nice things and said, come back with something that's more suited. I never submitted to Harlequin. And my sister took me to lunch because I was the struggling poor artist, you know. And she said, well, how's that book going? You know, and I, and that was paper. Everything was on paper. And I said, well, my submission copy is very tattered. And <laughs> I've got to make another copy. And I've, I, and I've got, I should retype it and correct some things. And then I've got to mail it. And that's going to cost $20. And, you know, I want to eat something like that. And she just put $20 on the table and said, send it to Harlan. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's a great moment. I'll always be grateful to her. And I did. Well, I mean, what could I do then? You know, I would really be a 
schmuck if I didn't. So I did it. And three months, and then actually I had to send a query first and they asked for the book. And by then I had retyped it and <laughs> was ready to send it. And um, the woman called me, a woman called me from uh, Harlequin Temptation and said, we'd like to buy your book. It was called The Spell of the Sierras at that time. Okay. <laughs> and um, I was so, ex- oh, I was so happy. I said, can you hold on just for a minute? And she said, of course. And I said, it was a, it was a landline, you know, I mean, with a cord and everything. I set the phone down and then I ran around silent screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back to her and said, now, where were we? <laughs> Great. It was so fun. I was so thrilled. It was a big moment. You know, that's a big moment for a writer when you finally sell your first book. Yeah. So So, that became The Road Home, right? Yes, it did. It became The Road Home and my only temptation. That was it. Um, After that, I had a theater, a, a romance set in theater that I wanted Temptation to buy. And they they said that just didn't have anything to do with their readership's interests. But I was very excited about this book. So I took it to Desire and they bought that one. Okay. And that's that's how, how you got in with Desire. Yeah, okay. So that's how I got in with Desire. And then the way I got in with specials was um, I had written three or four desires and I wanted, I one at a time and I wanted to get a big contract, which is, was three books. I thought that would be really great. One contract for three books. And my editor said, well, we've been discussing you. I was very scared. Then. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. They're done with me. But no, they thought that uh, special edition would be a good fit for me. And oddly, this is what's so funny about life. You, Sometimes you just don't take the steps that would have made it a lot simpler for you, but I didn't. I never read special edition because they were bigger, thicker books and they had more stuff going on. And I thought of myself as being all about the romance. So, but I wanted that three book contract. So I said, yes. And then as soon as I started reading specials, I was like, well, these are great. (laughs) I really like these. And I wrote one and then slowly transitioned over to where I was writing mostly specials, some single titles and novellas and stuff like that. And that's been it pretty much since. Since then, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at the time, like, wh- let, let's, whenever you, you got that call from Harlequin with Temptation, mm-hmm. what did the, I mean, and you've touched on it a little bit, like category was really big at this time. Like there was a lot of category kind of all over the place, but what did the world of romance look like? as you were entering into it, did it really like, you know, was category the big thing? Was it still historicals kind of, you know, reigning or like, what did it feel like? Categories were not the big thing. I mean, they were very popular. Everybody read them. And most of the writers wrote them, most of the romance writers. Um, A lot of the big time people like Jane Ann Krentz comes to mind. Um, Lisa Gregory, and she has, that's not even her real name. She has three or four pseudonyms. They would write under different pseudonyms depending on the type of romance they were writing. Okay. So, And I really love, that's why I love Desire because Jane Ann Krentz wrote them and they were funny and snappy and, you know, they were great. She wrote them as Jane Cass, I think. But it was, it was really run by Romance Writers of America. I mean, that was the popular thing where we all, all authors got together it was not diverse, you know, and it was, um, but it was warm hearted. Um, 
it was, I mean, I'm not saying it was separated from reality completely. It was just a lot more tame. The people were tame. Now you've, you have a feeling again of almost a wild west in, in writing. I mean, here we have people can just make their own career. Yeah. Very true. It's wonderful, really. I mean, it's exciting. Um, I've never, to me, to do that, to start with that, that would be like almost starting over and I'm pretty happy where I am. So I'm not doing that, but I admire that. You know, I think that it's wonderful that there are so many more, in a way, more options now. And people are making livings themselves who are just not fitting in the box well enough to be bought by a major publisher, you know. And then you have people who, like Emily Henry, who is just writes for one publisher and writes very few books. And she's, you can be anything now. I like that. She's huge. And she only really has to write one thing, one thing a year, you know? (laughs) Exactly. And it's wonderful, you know? So it's just, I do feel it's a little freer now. I, in some ways, series is redefining itself and trying to figure out what it is because there's so many more options. Very true. That's how it feels as a reader. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's where I live and what I love. So I'm quite happy here. But um, I think people want to go in different directions now. And then it was very subscribed and it felt like it was bigger in terms of traditional publishing. Mm -hmm. I think it's still all the same size. It's just that the options have changed. The options have changed. Yeah, look, it looks very different, I think. It really does, very much so. Well, you know, you found your home at Special Edition. Like once, you know, I was like going through your backlist and I'm like, okay, once she got in with Special Edition, I think it's very safe to say she was like, oh, okay, I like it here. What do you enjoy about writing Special Edition romances? Like when you, what do you remember like what book it was for you that it was like, I like this? It was the first one. It the very was, first um, one. Okay. Uh, Double Deer. Double Deer. Double. Yeah. Yeah. It was all these characters. I mean, all these people who are interrelated, who affect the relationship. It's just more like emotional real life. I mean, things can affect you. Somebody says something, something happens, and you're wondering what's going on with this person that you're so attracted to. You know, I mean, there's just a lot that has to do with interrelationships more so with specials than the shorter books, just by the nature of the type of book it is, mm-hmm. you know, so you just have to have, for instance, I used to do, I try, I, I really liked the alpha hero when I started. And now I'm, I tend to have more of a guy, he might be beta, he might be alpha, but he's definitely looking out trying to figure out how to do the right thing. Yes. Oh my gosh. The Christmas cottage. That's how I felt with the hero in that book. <laughs> Loved him because he was just like so crazy about the heroine and he wanted to go for it. But he just kind of late, like sat back and chilled, you know, like I don't <laughs> want to mess this up. <laughs> and with her, you never knew because she, you know, was a powerhouse and a little wounded. So yeah, that yeah. And they had things. already had like their one night of passion, you know, so it's like, okay, let's let's do this right this time. Oh, I do love that though. I love the one night. I mean, yeah, me I, too. I loved it. I do. You know, and then it's like, this is it. This is all we're having. Well, <laughs> and there I were all the, I just, I loved them just like both not being able to sleep in the middle of the night. So they're hanging out, you know, in the kitchen, like, you know, just talking away, doing puzzles, drinking tea. And I'm like, oh God, this is just. That was really fun. Oh, and I've had a lot of fun lately with reader, taking readers' pets and putting them in my book. And the readers are so detailed with their pets. It's just, it's an interesting writing experience to take this 
animal. In Hometown Reunion, it's DC, as in darn cat. There was a <laughs> 1960s. And the whole, the person that, um, Norma Carroll is her name, that I, it's her cat. And when she got that cat, her husband said, we don't need another damn cat. And, and so, so she, she named him DC. <laughs> and this cat is, she said, I nailed him. And I was so thrilled. <laughs> got that cat just right. I just love putting that. I love doing that. In fact, interaction with readers overall as an author has been a great experience for me. I really love it. I love having relationships with readers and having a whole crew of people who read my books for review and they're friends. You know? Yeah. It's good. How do you feel that special edition as a line has evolved over time? I mean, I will say I like I love the old painted covers on special edition. I know my co-host Aaron is a fan of the painted covers. And I'm like, oh, man, special edition. But the covers now are gorgeous, too. So it's like it's hard to choose with special edition. They really work. I mean, yes. the art department. The, oh, I was that was another thing I was going to say. My editor, I, I, Gail Chasen has been my editor 30, 30 something years. Wow. That's awesome. And we yeah. have, we joke that we share the same mind. And the question is who's using it today? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, she's my friend, you know, and you really, they always say, don't be friends with your editor. Well, every rule is made to be broken, I guess, you know, but I, she, she's a dear friend and she's always been in my corner. So that's part of the reason when you asked about how did I know that specials was mine? I think the more I worked with her, I found it, uh, I felt safe, but challenged. And that's a good combination. So I didn't worry that I'm in deep danger here all the time. And I have a tendency to be a little paranoid. So I need someone to reassure me that I'm okay, that I'm doing my job, you know, to tell me the truth gently. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think Shout out to Gail. Point. Shout out to her. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I just think it it has evolved with the culture of very much and in length. So, I mean, length is your determination of how much you can put in the book, you know? So when I started, they were 75 to 80,000 words long. And slowly over time, they got this, the Harlequin got an idea of streamlining the books. So it has went down as far as 55,000 words, which is getting close to half. I mean, you know. Well, I can't even imagine as a writer, like <laughs> going from, you know, that's a lot that to cut out. Well, I didn't mind because I, I can write short very comfortably and I okay. have to think to make the book longer and richer, which I think I actually like the product better with the longer books. But I don't know. There's some good things about a book that just moves right through it, you know. But now they're going back. In fact, we're having some big changes next year, starting in uh 2024, the books are going to be 70 to 75,000. Okay. Four of them a year, a month rather than six, but nothing's really getting cut because they're taking the continuity, the continuity stories, which is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but Montana Mavericks, the Mavericks and, yeah. and the Fortune's Children. And they're making them like a separate line and there'll be two of them a month and those will stay shorter. So, um, it's just a whole different, we're growing out again. So the books will have the, the depth and texture of the nine month marriage or, you know, a longer, a longer story. So that is so exciting. I'm looking forward to that. I think yeah. that'll be fun. And I'm going to do two of the, of my own books at this point, they're the Bravo books. I'm probably going back to um, the Wild Rose Sisters 
setting and doing brothers. I may do cider house people or something. I wondered, I was like, are we going back there or is it finished? No, I don't think it's finished, finished. I never get finished, finished. I've got okay. <laughs> I mean, you have a 62 book series, so <laughs> I figured so, yeah. you might not be done with this one. <laughs> so they are constantly working and, you know, to make specials as relevant as possible to right now. And I think this is the direction that the powers that be have decided we're going and I'm good with it. I think uh, it'll be fun to write, uh, have more room in a book. Yeah. Well, you have over a hundred titles. So can I ask you some writer questions? Of course. Okay. Do you consider yourself a plotter, a pantser, or a mixture of both? Mostly plotter. Okay. I mean, I think everybody's kind of on that kind of, on a spectrum on that. Nobody's just way to one end or other, or few people are. I, I'm really a plotter. The pantser comes out in the writing. So I plot everything out and I know beginning, middle, end. Um, I write a long synopsis that really details how the story will go. It's about 30 pages. Now, most people who don't know an author want something short. They want mm-hmm. a pitch, you know. <laughs> they do not want 30 pages. But I do so that I really know where I'm going. And then I, I, I divert and go off different ways and things change. There in, for instance, in Hometown Reunion, it was all plotted out and the heroine's ex-husband had no part in my synopsis. He was not going to be there. But then I realized I kind of needed him, that I wanted to have both the hero's ex-wife and the heroine's ex-husband in the book, just to using them as a way to see how these two characters, the lovers, had developed. So he got a part and he, it's a sort of a it's a strong little story that he got. So I was like, I think with a bigger book, that gives you the room to do that kind of stuff, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. You know? So I I plot my books uh, and I have a whole system for that. I work with one other author. Uh, we started out in a plot group of five people and then that would rotate and it would always be her and me. And with plotting, when you plot on a tape, you know, you, you throw out ideas with each other. You find that people have completely different styles. And some people just aren't for sitting around plotting. They start talking about their earrings, <laughs> you know, or, <laughs> or lunch, you know. And and my Susan and I, my plotting friend, we are just on it. We want to just get so buzzed in that there is nothing but that story. You know, and it was like that from the beginning. And finally, we just thought, well, if we went off by ourselves, we people getting in there about their earrings, it really distracts you from trying to. Keep <laughs> <friends>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so we were just like, we'll go try it by ourselves. And we were sure it wasn't going to work, that we'd need that extra input. But it's been a few years now and we both really like it. And it's very streamlined because we don't have to plot a bunch of books of other people. And the energy, you know, is very focused because it's just the two of us. So I do that. First of all, I get a bunch of ideas together, just scribbling them out whenever they come to me. And then I sit down for a day or two and just write out notes of how the story might go. Just get into it and make, tell myself stories and put them on paper. And then I send those to her and she will say what doesn't work or what works to her. You know, I mean, it's, I'm still the boss, but on, of my book. But then she'll send me st- notes back and then we'll meet and we'll do the set the session. And then I take the session home on a, a digital recording and I uh, play it and type it. I type every, almost every word that's said. So that's probably an hour and a half to two and a half hours worth of talking. 
Okay. <laughs> and then um, when that's done, then I take that transcript and I form a uh, story, you know. And uh, when we are plotting, we are focusing on, first of all, we spend a lot of time on character. What does he want? What does she want? What's in their way? What's their goal? That stuff. Goal motivation and conflict, like they say. And then um, the second phase is the plot points, which we go with a three-point structure. So we start with first turning point, midpoint, and third turning point. And what that basically means is first turning point, we get there's a problem. So okay. yep. second turning point, it's worse than we thought. And then the third is it's hopeless. We're not going to be together. So that <laughs> spins into the dark moment, as they say. I love that. I love the way that's put it. It's worse than we thought. <laughs> I love it. And you could do it like this. If you could just think of it in a romance as the first turning point is a kiss. The second is lovemaking. And the third is it's over. We can't make this work. So it's very simple, really. I love that. You just have to find those points that are going to be directly relatable to those particular characters. So anyway, then I do that. I get it all ready. So I could just take this and write a book. And then what makes it really come alive is the extra stuff that comes out while I'm writing. Like, oh, I didn't know that Nick, that was Joe Beth's ex-husband, needs to be in this. And Nick has some serious problems. <laughs> He's going to cause serious problems. You know, I did, just didn't even have that in my head when I wrote the synopsis. So but I as love you're it. writing, it just comes to you. It does. It comes to you and you think, and then you try, mostly when it comes to me, I try to ignore it because <laughs> I figure if it really wants to be here, it won't give up. And it doesn't. It keeps coming until I finally go, okay, fine. And then, oh, I have some here for now. I saved these for you. <laughs> When I'm stuck. Did you do you ask when I'm stuck here? I thought you. Did. Well, I was going to ask if you find yourself stuck. Are you calling <laughs> Susan or is what? Like, what are Great you doing? Advice. I do call Susan, but mostly I try to think of ways to move on with what I've got. Okay. Two things I ask myself: What is the least likely thing to happen here? You know, so I try to think of something just completely off the wall and I'll think of three or four things and then I'll get something that will be actually what needs to happen there that I didn't know about. Like, I'm just trying to find a way to coax it out of my subconscious. And mm -hmm. then I have, what have I never put in a book before? Okay. Because as a, a, a category writer, so many, this is, this is the quote, this is from uh, Robert McKee his book story, which is about writing. We give the audience the experience we've promised, but not in the way it expects. This is what yes. separates artists from amateur. So that's it. We're trying to find always ways to be unexpected while we're delivering the promise, the reader's promise. Yeah, the reader's <laughs> promise, you know, so that's mostly what I do when I get stuck. I try okay. to coax out of myself what is what is it that's missing that I haven't acknowledged yet. Do you have a time of day that you prefer to write? I am a banker. Okay. <laughs> I get up, I don't I can't, I mean, I almost can't write on the weekend. It's like okay. so weird to me. I write, I get up in the morning with coffee, you know, have a bunch of morning rituals while I'm kind of diddling with whatever I'm writing in my head. And I'll go online and fool around on social media for 20 minutes, hopefully only 20 minutes. And then um, by nine o'clock, I like to be in my desk and working on the work in progress or the proposal or whatever, the actual work. And I work pretty much straight through until... Uh, 3.30, 4 o'clock, and then I quit for the day. So it's just, yeah. I even, I eat lunch at the 
at my desk. If I go talk to my husband, it's that whole, what I said at the beginning, interrupt at your own risk. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still there. I had a friend, Phyllis Wardy, years ago when I lived in California, and she was a wrote Regency. And she said, I can do anything. I can write fine while I'm cooking, while I'm, you know, vacuuming, as long as nobody comes and talks to me. Yeah. <laughs> Uninterrupted. I can do anything. You know? Yeah. If I'm here, I can be fine. So that's kind of me. <laughs> yeah. So do you set daily writing goals or is it just like I get what I get written from this time to this time? Oh, goals. And okay. I love myself. I always tell my... I'm really probably, if I really focus about an eight page a day person, okay, and I cheat because then I find ways to have bigger fonts. <laughs> the way you sabotage yourself is so funny. You know, I sabotage myself, but um, about about eight to ten pages, so that I can I can write a special edition in two months if I absolutely focus. Now it's wow. going to take a little longer. Now we're um, we're making them longer again. It probably take two and a half months, but um, yeah, two months. And that's how, I mean, for years I wrote four a year Yeah, um, and now I'm down to three and I'm, I'm enjoying it. That's uh, still great. That is still I, great. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to quit. Uh, I've had a long career, but I'm still very happy just doing my stuff. And I'm very at home. You know, my friend Susan's always going, you really need to get out more, honey. <laughs> but I'm like, no, I really don't. <laughs> So yeah, she travels, she goes on Viking cruises and I'm like, oh, have fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same. Like I, I have like a, I'm a totally a wanderlust person. Like I'd love to travel, but I also really love being at home. So <laughs> uh, I get it. I do. I just, I like, I like making a nice home and being there. So that's... yeah. Well, do you have a, like a specific program you use? Are you a word girl or? Word, word, word. Yeah. I, I, when I first started working on a computer 200 years ago, there was something before WordPerfect and it, it, a DOS. I actually wrote in DOS. Oh, wow. Where you okay. have, to have commands for everything. And then WordPerfect, which was still commands. And then we finally got Word, and that was a revelation. And I, I wouldn't, I really like it. I'm happy with it. Do you have any under the bed stories, any books that will never see the light of day? <laughs> I, <laughs> I actually did write one single title that I have self-published, but uh, that's the only thing I ever self-published. And it's, I've written a few kind of weird books that don't, I can see why they didn't sell looking back, even though I like things about them, their mm -hmm. rhythms are weird. And, you know, I was just fooling around kind of almost while writing. So that, but those, that's still out there. I can't get it back because I let some other group of people, uh, put it on different platforms. I think I did Amazon and Barnes and Noble and they did the rest. And I had to, I agreed that they had to make so much money and they're not going to ever make any money on this book. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's not going anywhere. So that's, that's the closest thing I have to under the bed. That book I told you about that became the road home. That was my first book. I, my plays, I had two full length plays that never saw anything but, uh, staged reading but that's really not the same this is like do i have a romance i could you know that i am so embarrassed about i'm hiding or that i could maybe someday come out and, and clean it up <laughs> put some lipstick on it you know but i don't i just i sold everything i wrote i think it's because that awesome that's awesome i really i mean i really wrote a long time before i became a romance writer and somehow when I finally turned myself to looking at romance as a career, I, it was just there. 
it worked. You know, I mean, it didn't seem like it at the time with all the submissions and everybody saying, try again, kid. But it was pretty fast. I was for a traditionally published route. Well, if there's a reader listening who is new to your bibliography, what is one title, and it could be more than one if you if you so choose, that you would point them to as a starting point? I would say... Um, the Nanny's Double Trouble in the Valentine Bay, the Bravo's of Valentine Bay series. Okay. It's, it's a lovely book. It's a single dad who sworn, he, he never wanted children in the first place. <laughs> he ends up with two, with twin babies, you know, and his wife dies. And um, he's kind of gruff and difficult, but then the nanny, the heroine is wonderful. And then you meet all these characters. You can read all my books. I really feel you can read as a standalone. I hope I make you want to read the other books that are connected, but you could read it as a standalone and see what you think. And then if you want to go on, you're at a place where you're at the beginning. So, and there's a whole, a good arc in the Valentine Bay stories. There's 11 of them. And they, they culminate with, um, what is the name of it? The last one home. And this is the uh, brother who was lost in uh, Siberia (laughs) and didn't even know who he was. So that's fun. He comes back to the family. That's the ending. And so it has a kind of an arc to it, a very strong arc. And also you can read them all as standalones, but, and it's a contempt, it's fairly new. I think the Nanny's Double Trouble came out in 2018. So all the formats will be there on all the platforms however you want to read it. It's a problem with so many books that are old, they're not in ebook. You know, if you don't if I don't have a paper copy, I wouldn't even have them. It's just them. gone, yeah. 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 That would be the one I would say probably. Well knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and give yourself at the beginning of your writing career? Delegate a little. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't. I do everything myself. And it's very limiting. I, I don't mind. I'm happy. I'm the same. It, I think it's 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 hard if you're so used to doing everything. It's hard to yeah. ask or tell other people to help you. <laughs> right. And I just want to be able to get lost and not have, I mean, my husband understands me, but that's like a lifetime relationship that he lives with me. You know, I would to have, I mean, I, I have friends who have assistants and they have wonderful relationships and everybody's happy. And I look at that and think I would screw that up in 20 minutes. <laughs> so I just I just like, you know, running everything, running it at my own pace. I like to be the boss and then I like to get up and walk away. I I'm just yeah, it's I mean people who can delegate and who can run a, a hierarchy, that's so great, but I don't Right. Think I great can. for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of comforting. I don't know. It's, it's something that I'm working on, but it's like, I know if I do it, it's done. And there's yes. just kind of comfort in that. And it is what it is, you know? <laughs> it's funny because I do. I have a lot of different lessons that I learn every once in a while that it would help if I kind of loosened up a bit. And I have loosened up in my personal relationships where I can see this person knows how to do this, just back away. Mm-hmm. You know, but I I haven't been able to do it in my uh, professional life, and I'm okay with that. But that is that would be in my next life. <laughs> yeah, my, I, would to, I would hope I would have that 
that quality maybe. Yeah. Well, from what I can see online, our next release from you is the Mavericks Surprise Sun. Can you tell us about it and anything else that you're working on? That one was so fun. It's, It's such a different process because you get the material, you get what we call a Bible for these continuity books. And there's six, in this case, there are six books this year uh, that have sort of an overarching story and then six different authors will write the books. Well, and I always write the first one and I love this one. It's, he's a fire, the hero is a firefighter. It's my first firefighter. So I had a lot of fun working with that. And um, it starts right off with the fire and he saves this baby, you know. And it's just exciting. I I think it was really exciting. And then um, the heroine is a nurse and he has a goal and she's trying to tell him he can never achieve this goal. This guy (laughs) can do whatever he sets out to do, you know. So I, I loved him. I loved her. She's just through with men. She is so done, like stick a fork at her. It's not happening. And he slowly, he's kind of been a, he, he, he's a, he's got uh, white knight syndrome, really bad, he, which a lot of firefighters evidently <laughs> have that. He um he just has to save women. He's wanted he to save the day. <laughs> oh, he's got to save them. And then the relationships never go that well. If they, they either become independent or they want to cling forever, you know, so, and neither of those has worked for him. But so having the two of them with their various issues slowly see that maybe they're the ones for each other was really fun. And the heroine has a terrible mother who is still, I think, redeemable. So she was fun. (laughs) The hero's mother runs everything. And that was fun. I have a lot of fun with people's mothers. Yeah. (laughs) They're always fun. They're always an interesting dynamic in the stories. Mothers and grandmothers. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I enjoy writing them. I write usually one a year now, and I'm very familiar with the overarching story and, and the settings. We're now in a uh, Bronco, Montana, and that one I've written several books in and I've enjoyed them. So they're fun and the readers love them because yeah. they know they're going to get one a month. You know, yeah. You're really getting what you want instead of having to wait for an author to finally produce another book. So that's <laughs> one certain author, you know? Well, lastly, can you tell everyone where they can keep up with you online? Do you have a newsletter that you can plug? Like, tell us everywhere where people can keep up with you. Well, I do send out newsletters uh, periodically, not real often, definitely whenever I have a new book out. And they come from my website, christinerimmer.com. And my website has a lot of, I have a complete book list of everything I've written. If you want to know more about the Bravos, it's there. If you just click Bravos in the upper right-hand corner, you'll get a drop down with all the books in order. So yeah. You can oh yeah. That. I love that printable list on your website. It's fantastic. Thank you for that. So that. <laughs> yes. Oh, and there's a printable list there too. Yes. And that's of all the books, which I'm still thinking whether I want to divide them up into series. I haven't tackled that yet, but um, what else? And I'm on Facebook quite a bit. So uh, you can look for me there. I have an Instagram account. It's fairly new, just a couple years old. And I post there regularly. I, I'm on Twitter, but I never, I, you know how people either connect with Twitter or they don't. Or they I don't. Think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's that I'm too rambly <laughs> and trying to make a, continual short statements are very difficult for me. So I don't 
really do Twitter. And that's about it. Instagram, Facebook, website. Okay. Well, I will have links to those in the show notes. So people get on there, keep up with Christine Rimmer. Congratulations. On your on this book, Hometown Reunion, it, it's fantastic. The cover is gorgeous. I'm so happy with Special Edition. They've just been really knocking it out of the park with the the, the covers. I mean, I don't even yeah. have to read the summaries anymore. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> the cover alone, <laughs> the packaging, it works. <laughs> yes, I'm glad to hear that. That's wonderful. I think they're great too. So. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing your time with so me. Fun. Please come back. You have to come back. You have, you're have you going to write more books and we have a podcast. Yes. So <laughs> I would love to breathe. Thank you. <laughs>